0: The congregation, the text for this evening hour, is from John 16, the verses 5 through 15. But let me only read the verses 13 and 14. John 16, 13 and 14. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you in all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. So far, what Christ told us about the Holy Ghost. Four thoughts. In the first place, sent by Christ. The Holy Spirit is sent by Christ for a reason. Secondly, convincing of not believing in Christ. The Holy Ghost, according to the Lord Jesus, is convincing people of not believing in Christ. In the third place, guiding to Christ and in the fourth place, glorifying Christ. So what Christ told us about the Holy Ghost. Sent by Christ, convincing of not believing in Christ, guiding to Christ, and glorifying Christ. Congregation, you remember that the chapters 13 through 16 are the farewell words of the Lord Jesus, spoken before he was crucified. 13 through 16. So our is also part of that. It's sometimes called the upper room discourse. I don't think it is the proper title. Because we read also in 14 verse 31, But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do arise and let us go. Hence, so I think part of the discourse of the farewell words was spoken in the upper room, and then the second part was spoken when the Lord Jesus walked with his disciples in the night to the Garden of Gethsemane. So he prepared him for his death, for his burial, for his resurrection, and for his ascension. And yet, there was something of a spiritual immaturity I see in verse 12, for example, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. They were infants. Example for the children. If you give a baby uh, jewels, jewelry, gold, even a toddler, they think that they can play with it. They don't realize the value of it. They're too young to let it sink in. And so God's people, when they are yet infants, there's so much that they don't really highly esteem yet. That gold is not always so dear to them. And they need to develop and to grow up in order to see that. You know, text in the Bible, like 1 Corinthians 3, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I think the disciples, I hope to explain that later, are also babes in Christ. I have fed you a milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. Immaturity as we also see in verse 5. Do you see that? But Now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, go goest thou? No, Jesus told him, I go. I go to my Father. I will ascend. I will sit at his right hand. And, and nobody responded. None of them. And none of you ask of me whether goal is down. That sounds kind of indifferent, doesn't it? If one of the boys makes in the garage, in the, in the shop, a contraption of some sort, just tinkering around and just making something, a machine, a device, not the most beautiful, but you know, he takes pride in it. He has been busy with it for weeks. And then his dad, he's showing his dad, and his dad doesn't say anything about it. Just ignores it. No questions, what is this? How did he make that? And there's no interest in it. Just give him the cold shoulder. Or what if someone sends you an epistle, a letter, an email, and there's just no response? There's no desire to get back to you and to answer. That's, that's hard. That, that's, diff- that's difficult. That is rude. And so the Lord Jesus spoke with his disciples about him going home. And none of them was asking him where he was going. They just all keep their mouth closed. No response. Just mute. But now I go my way to, have, to, the, to him that sent me and none of you ask me where the go is down. That's hard. And yet that is happening all the time. That the Lord Jesus speaks to people and that there is no response. It's more, it's more painful if this uh, kind of silent treatment it's an indifference I would say none of you ask as me there was no room apparently and they didn't know what to do with it and maybe there was sadness and fear and denial but they should have responded. Have things changed in the meantime you think? Are sinners and are, are God's people still root in that sense still? Let me show you. Jeremiah six, to whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear, behold their ears uh, that ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach they have no delight in it. So God's people listening to a sermon, reading a Bible verse, a chapter, have no delight in it. God's people. Because they have, they're still infants maybe. Maybe that's the reason. They don't see it yet. And not only God's people, so unconverted ones, right? They They hear the word of God and have no delight in it. Is it you? You read the Bible faithfully at home, at the table. You have never delighted in it. It's read, and none of you is asking me, What does that mean, Lord? You just don't say and pray anything. Or oh, Zechariah 7, but they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears. That they should not hear. Just putting the fingers in their ears. I don't want to hear this. Very famous is the Song of Solomon, right? Song of Solomon, the Noah the Bride and the Bridegroom. And I like to read a piece for you from there. I read in chapter 5, I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh on the door, right? Say, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. For my hand is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. So he is coming. He wants to talk to her and be with her. And she says, she answered, I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? So the bridegroom came to the door, knocking on the door, and she said, it's too late. And then, then I continue. Then there is some sometime later, she opens she the door. She came to a different conclusion. I better, better, better open the door. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed and he spake. I saw him and I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. She did this deep spiritually. Meaning that God's children, sometimes he does knock on the door and ignore it. Let it go. And have a cold response. God's people, a cold response to the Savior, to the Lord Jesus. And then when they come to the senses, it might be kind of too late. And they have brought a time of darkness over them. there's also spiritual immaturity. But because I have... Said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your heart. Verse 6. So maybe there was a reason that there was sadness in their heart and that they could not respond properly. Nevertheless, this is the first thought about being sent. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. See, I will send him unto you, at the end of verse 7. Ex, expedient. What is that? You know? It's expedient, disciples, that I go. It's expedient to go to heaven. It's expedient that I sit right there in the Father. It's expedient that I do those things for you. It's expedient. It is useful. It is beneficial. It is necessary. It is good for you. You will benefit from it. So if I don't go to to heaven... I cannot send the Spirit, and that means that you will suffer from it. So I have to go. I tell you the truth. This is not a lie. I I mean it from from, 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 from my heart. Nevertheless, I tell the truth. It is expedient for you, disciples, that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come to you. The comforter. The parakletos. And that word is translated, can be translated in many different ways. That's language, you know. Language is difficult. Sometimes a certain word has different hues and connotations, we say, and Sometimes connotation one is the best reading in this context, and sometimes connotation two or three or five or seven or ten. Words have different meanings. It's also the word parakletos; It can be translated as comforter, right, as we see it here in our translation. And sometimes it's translated as helper. Helper. The helper will come. And sometimes it means the advocate. The advocate will come. He will speak for you. Parakletos means to be called alongside. Calling alongside. He feels that he has to help. He has to comfort. He has to advocate. He has to be there for them. So the Holy Spirit is that great helper. Not in the sense, of course, of that we do something and that he does something. No, it is by grace only. But by God's grace, he helps God's people to continue. He comforts them. He supports them. He feeds them. He directs them. He gives them what they are in need of. Christ need to go. And sometimes we see that Christ will send the Holy Spirit and sometimes the Father and sometimes in a beautiful birth play, a combination of things. In John 14, you read, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. Whom the Father will send in my name. Are you an infant? Do you see that? goes over my head. I don't want to even hear this. Can you talk about something else? No, but this is deep. And it's important. Whom the Father will send in my name. The Father is going to send the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, rather, in the name of Christ. So, for His name, for His sake, so I read there that the Father will send the Holy Spirit after being paid by the Lord Jesus. In, by, in His name, He, he, he sends Him. And in John fifteen, but when the Comforter is come, when I will s- whom I will send unto you from the Father. So the Lord Jesus is saying, I send them from the Father. I don't know what this all means. It is deep. Somehow the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit cooperate and agree with one another and have a special. way of dividing the work? I don't, I can say that. But it sounds like the triune God. So the Lord Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit from the Father, and the Father is sending the Holy Spirit in the name of His Son. But what we know for sure is that the Lord Jesus had to go to heaven, had to go home, had to ascend in order to help and assist and to get alongside the church by the Holy Spirit. Beloved Holy Spirit, beloved Lord Jesus, to have to, have to send Him, beloved Father, for sending Him in the name of Jesus. Comforter. Do you have any experience with that comfort? That the Lord opened His Word and that you benefited the Holy Spirit? That it was expedient for you? Let's go to the next one. The Holy Ghost convincing of not believing in Christ. Verse 8 or well, actually 8 through 11. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and he see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Sometimes this text is Misunderstood. Sometimes people say, "You know, when the Holy Spirit comes, then He just condemns you and He reproves you and He talks about your sin and that there is no righteousness and He will judge you." Very negative. I don't think that's correct. But let us just let me unpack it. When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. so the world, mankind, not only the Jewish people, the whole world. The Holy Spirit has come to the whole world. That is the difference between Pentecost and the time before, the time of mission. Reprove the world of sin, not sins. Sin. What sin? Especially the main sin. The chief of sin. What is the worst thing people can possibly do to the Lord? What is the most horrible thing to do in God's eyes? What is it? You think of Mr. Putin? Or Hitler? Or some other dictator who has blood on his hands? What do you think? Well, we read in God's Word of sin, verse 9, of sin because they believe not on me. That is the most horrible thing in the Bible you can think of, and in, in, in life you can think of. It's the worst sin possible. Why? Well, think compared to someone who has killed someone. Murderer. That murderer can be saved, can be forgiven, right? But the unbeliever does not want to be forgiven. And to sin against the law is one thing, but also to sin against the gospel. That is even more serious. Because the law condemns and it's about justice and the gospel is about Christ and love. So to be loving and to reach out to someone and to get a slap in your face and to be, be dealt with so rudely but you have been so faithful and kind and good. That's, that's the main thing. And so the Lord Jesus has come and we despised him and esteemed him not. That is the sum of unthankfulness, of receiving in the gospel preaching the most precious gift and say, no, no. I don't want it. I don't want it. I refuse to accept. That is our heart. That's how deep we fell. And often we think that other sins are way more important, way more serious. And we forget the main sin. Sometimes we can discuss for hours about things we may have different opinions on, who are not really super clear in the Bible. More in the spirit of the Bible, okay. But then unbelief is not frowned upon. So we frown on many things. And not frowning on unbelief, but when the Holy Spirit comes, when He comes personally to you and reproves you, He says, "You are such an unthankful person. I've been so good to you. I've invited you, and warned you, and called you. No response. What is the matter? Where are you? Who are you? But what are you doing?" Don't you realize? See? Si. these how the preachers deal with them, people. The Lord Jesus come to seek and to save them that are lost. Right? Those publicans and sinners. And the Lord Jesus ate with them. But also those Pharisees. Those Pharisees hated Jesus with a passion. This verse. And yet the Holy Spirit convinces of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father. Of righteousness. Of righteousness. Not of Unrighteousness. It doesn't say he will. He will convince you of your unrighteousness. No, it doesn't say that. It says he will reprove. He will convict you of righteousness. The righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Jesus. That's what's meant. Because it says in verse 10 of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. See? Christ is righteousness. He is the perfect righteousness. And how much righteousness do we have? So if Hitler still has 10% righteousness. I said, if, how much would you have? 50%? 60? 70? What do you think of yourself? How much righteousness do you have compared to notorious sinners like Hitler? I don't know how you feel, but I know... I know how, how what the percentage is. I, I know it. How much? Zero. We have no righteousness whatsoever. Nothing. We are not righteous before God. No, not one. The Bible says, not one. Let me think highly of self. I go to church, read the Bible, I pray, I give tithes, I'm nice to people, I'm civil, I'm not bad. Not knowing the righteousness is out the window, it's gone. We have no righteousness at all. And our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, as menstrual cloths, it says in the Bible. That's the Holy Spirit speaking. speaking and convincing people of sin that they don't believe in Him and of righteousness because Lord Jesus goes to the Father. But why does the Holy Spirit teach and convicts of his righteousness? Because he wants to comfort, right? And he is offering. He's showing complete righteousness for unrighteous people. There's righteousness in Christ. So you can be clothed with his Righteousness. God can hang His righteousness over your dirty clothes. To have forgiveness of sins, to look so much better, to be justified by faith, to receive the justice, the the, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. How much righteousness did the Lord Jesus have? Infinite. Ten out of ten, when he was baptized, the Father spoke about that, kind of. He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Well pleased. How can God be so pleased with his Son? He has only righteousness. And the Lord cannot say that of me and you that you are so righteous that he is pleased with you. Not at all. But if the Lord Jesus' righteousness is hung over our sins, then God the Father is pleased with you. Well pleased with his own work. And he does not see your sin. He does not want to see your sin. He is blotting out your sin. He is forgiving your sins. And that relief is tremendous. When you have been arrested by the Lord, when you have discovered that with all your piousness and outward appearance, you name it, you still filled your ass. You were devastated. And he showed you righteousness. He will come to the world and show them righteousness of Christ. He that believeth on the Son is everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. And John 3 also says, because, right? Because people don't believe in Him. Righteousness. So in spite of the lowest percentage of righteousness, there's righteousness in Christ. Righteousness that is free. And the Holy Spirit reproves all of that. Convinces all of that. Because sinners... Convicted sinners have a hard time believing that there is forgiveness with God for them. A hard time believing that. Have I not sinned too much? Is it not too bad that I did? I can't believe it. No, it's only for a few. You know? It's for God's people. I know a few of them and I respect them, but that's not for me. I. I have given up. And maybe you don't even pray so much anymore because you, you have lost courage. you feel kind of it is? Hopeless for me. Other people can be saved, not me. If you would know what I did, if you know what I have thought, if you know what I have dreamt, if you know what I have been fantasizing about, you, you, if you would know my life, the Lord knows it all. But the Holy Spirit can yet convince people so kindly and so convincingly that they begin to believe it, that they may hide under his righteousness, that they may come unto him without money without without price, so convinced that they come. And the Holy Spirit does that through the world. The Holy Spirit says, kind of, see that in the Bible? See that text? The, word, the, the Bible itself says it. I speak the truth. And so the Holy Spirit convinces slowly, certainly, some, suddenly, sometimes, of the validity of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when it happens, then they probably have the courage to go to the Lord's supper table, because he has convinced them of the righteousness of the dear Savior, Jesus Christ, and they are convinced of it. If I touch the hem of his garment, I will be whole. I know that for sure. It is in him. I have nothing. He has everything. I go to him. You know, I can recommend a service. The service under the Holy Spirit, him being the helper, the kindest helper, convincing helper, the comforter, the advocate. That is a very special life. Then you don't have to... Uh, Force it yourself in your throat. You don't have to do your best to believe and make good works to gain some points. It's so free and so filled with sweetness of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit also talks about judgment, but not in the first place about the judgment of people. That's also part of it. But he in the first place speaks about the judgment over the prince of this world. Right? That's what it says. In verse 11. And the prince of the world is the devil. So the Holy Spirit convinces of the sin of unbelief, of the precious righteousness of Jesus, and of the judgment over Satan. That's the explanation of John 16. So he speaks of the, of the future. And he speaks and convinces the church of the fact that it will not be forever. There comes a time that Satan comes to to the end of his life. Oh well, he will be also thrown into hell. And then his teasing and taunting is over. He will be condemned. It will be the end of suffering and the end of death. And there will be new heavens and a new earth. But I agree that the Holy Spirit also reminds people of Judgment Day. The Judgment Day is that same day, right? That Satan will be condemned. And you know, you remember that that chapter of Revelation 20 about the great white throne and God sitting on the throne and heaven and earth being afraid and fleeing away. And all the dead before them, small and great, you as well, young people and children and elderly, and we all will be there. And the books are opened. And people judged out those books. And whosoever was not found, written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So it speaks about judgment as well. But in in, in that judgment day. God's people will receive official acquittal. They will be spoken free. Then that is the final judgment. Before that, a death is preliminary. That's the final one. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now for thou? He talked about that. They were still infants. But then also verse 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of the truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall, he that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit guides. You know, think of guides on Vancouver Island, for example, nature guides, eco guides, and you go on the bus, you go into the forest, you go to a certain place, and then you you get out of the bus, and there's a guide, and he walks you over. Those boardwalks, and he shows you that tree and all this and the bark, what they do with that, and the flowers we need there and the beautiful ecosystem. And he is so knowledgeable. He knows those things. And you enjoy that profoundly. If you want to know the names and the, and the things, if you're interested, you just absorb that. He's, he's, he's guiding you in those things. And he likes it. He likes to talk about that. And you love to hear it. I do. What well, does it have to do with this? Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. He will guide you in all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall heed, that He and speak, and He will show you things to come. So it's the Holy Spirit doing it. Verse thirteen tells us what the places of the work of the Holy Spirit. He does not like to come to the foreground, but he likes to be in the background. Right? He shall Show you things to come. He shall not speak of himself. The Holy Spirit does not like to speak of himself. You want an example for that? I think of a beautiful building. Maybe a government building. Old and just beautiful architecture. And the city council thinks that it's so important they, they put lights in, the, in front of, 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 the, of the building. So at night you see all those windows and those towers and it's beautiful. Those lights shine away from you, don't they? Those lights shine in the direction of that building. Suppose if you turn that, those lights around and show you in your face. That's not what the lights are for. I don't want to be blind by the, by, by the lights. The lights are supposed to be almost invisible, or maybe a little underground, maybe after some bushes and hedges, and just shine upon the building. So the Holy Spirit does not want to per se be seen, and he does not want to speak of himself, He says, look, look at that. Look at that building. No, look at that Savior. Look at him. Don't look at me. Look at him. That is the precious work of the the Holy Spirit. To speak of him, he shall hear. That shall I, whatsoever he shall hear, that will he speak, and he will show you things to come. That's the work of the Spirit. He is in the background. He is asking attention for the Lord Jesus. He is the friend of the bridegroom, right? The friend of the bridegroom. And let me just mention a few texts in this, in this, in this context. Um, texts meant to draw attention to Christ. Because if the Holy Spirit is doing that, the Holy Spirit is saying, it's in in him, don't look at me, it's in him. No spirit doing that. Preachers should do the same thing, no? So let me try. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. See that? So the Lord Jesus saying, it's me. The Holy Spirit doesn't say that. He did not say, it's me. The Holy Spirit says, it's him. Well, John 7, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood at the feast, stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Or Revelation 22 verse 17 And the Spirit and the bride say come and let him that hearers say come and let him that is at first come and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. The Holy Spirit guides, reveals, shows of him when he has come, he will guide you in all truth. Not only bring you to that spot in the forest, and let you exit the bus and you do this on your own. No, no, no. He brings you to that place, helps you out of the bus, goes, in, goes before you, you follow him, he stops you, he talks about things he has seen. He's, he's a guide. And so the Holy Spirit guides, and he brings sinners to the Lord Jesus. And he says, have you seen that? Have you looked at that? Have you heard that? What about his name? Emmanuel. What about his birth? Out of the Virgin Mary. What about his, his, his life? had his no sin. He, he couldn't sin. And what about his death? His death was a crucifixion. And the Holy Spirit is asking attention for all those hundreds and hundreds of details so that God's people do not remain babes. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. As you know, the Queen Elizabeth is now serving for 70 years. It's amazing. She's a wise woman, I suppose. And she has also kept the people together. And people are cheering right now, the last four days. Cheering and it's celebrating. And putting her on the pedestal. Say, see this and see that. And there's so much airplanes flying and parades and you name it. To glorify her. Maybe overdone. I don't know. But I, I don't, don't have a problem with it. Glorifying. Well, the Holy Spirit is glorifying the Lord Jesus. He glorifies Him. He, in a holy sense, thinks so much of Him. And he wants him to be glorified. He wants the Lord Jesus to be glorified. He doesn't want to be glorified himself. He wants things to be glorified. And that's why in the sermon of the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, we hardly hear about the Holy Ghost. Hardly hear about it. It's all about Jesus, it's all about his resurrection, his ascension about the people crucifying him being guilty. And he just stays in the background. He's one of those lights, underground lights, shining in the building. He glorifies. He glorifies him. Glorifying is the same, verse 14, he shall glorify him is the same as praising him, extolling him celebrating what is one of the ways the Lord Jesus wants me to celebrate celebrated today well I think of the Lord's Supper right this do in remembrance of me so at the Lord's Supper table the Lord Jesus wants to be glorified he wants to be extolled. He wants him to be celebrated, the celebration of the death of Christ, our forefathers wrote in the forum. That is not a happy-go-looking type of thing, not at all, but it is a deep delight, a joyful celebration of the Son of God and of his death, resurrection, And sitting at the right hand of God. So there's there's no jealousy. Not so that God's people say, I wish that honor. I, I wish that glory. No, not at all. They throw their own crowns before him. And say, "All glory and honor is unto thee. And to the Lord Jesus, in particular here. he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. You know the style here of the Lord Jesus is often to, and of John, is is often to repeat things with slightly different wording. Right? So in this last thought you don't much, you don't hear much that is different from be- be- th- thought before. But it's just emphasized and underlined again. He shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. So of mine what? So, by f- for example, the attributes. There's so much in the Lord Jesus that the Holy Spirit has discovered. He has seen it. He is the third person. And he knows exactly who, who, who he is. And those are also the things of the Father. All things that the Father has are mine. So the Father has those excellencies, the Son has those excellencies, the Holy Spirit has seen those excellencies and he conveys those excellencies to the church. That's the divine organization in the Holy Trinity. Beautiful. So the Holy Spirit is a guide and brings those things in remembrance. He received it it of of him and he shall show it unto all things that the Father has in mind. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. He show it unto you. Has the Holy Spirit shown you things in the Bible that you thought that's not only new, it's not only a piece of the doctrine i never studied, but it's, I delight in it. I just, I'm thrilled. I'm, in a whole way, excited. That's how the Holy Spirit works. He makes people, God's people, sinners, excited. Gives delight in God's service. Show it unto you. I I looked at the word show in the Bible, in the original. I forgot the Greek word. But what I remember is that the word show here also can mean to repeat. To repeat. To rehearse. The Holy Spirit repeats things. He has explained before, and he's shown before, and he's showing them again. And he repeats it, uh, uh, repeats them again, and that is what God's people also need, right, to have it explained and pointed at be, uh, again, to receive it inside over and over, because God's children are also forgetful and also weak in faith. And that face is just a little flame in the wind. It needs to be guarded, to be tended. So magnifying him. Magnifying him also means to lift him up, right? Was Moses magnifying the serpent in the wilderness when he put him on a pole? And high up? Look at this, Kind of. Just a kind of glorifying that snake. so in the preaching also we must glorify the Lord Jesus and show him. Lift him up in the in, in the sermon, in the preaching. To glorify him. Say it's all in him. He you, you don't miss anything that's not in him. He has paid a full price. He is so willing. He is so does it's, it's, it's such a beautiful service. The Holy Spirit would not say it. He would not say, I am the door. He would not say, I am the bread. He would not say, I am the way. He would not say, I am the truth. The Christ does. And the Holy Spirit supports that. Yes. He is the door. He is the bread. He is it. In congregation, we have to stop. It's time again. Do you know of that work of the Holy Spirit? Lifting up the veil, showing you from the Bible those new and beautiful things. That's life. That's real life. That's eternal life. It begins here. For I determined. The Apostle Paul said, I determined, I, I am determined, and I know this. I am not changing my mind. I determined, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen.